Father, I come before you. You know our need. Our need is you. Everything else pales in comparison. We want more of a sight of you. We want to fall deeper in love with you. We want to abide in you. And Father, we know the times are coming, and as Pastor shared, persecution is coming. It has come. It's going to increase. And your word says, but for the sake of the elect, you have, you're going to help us through that time. So, Father, I pray that your words will be spoken, that our hearts will be changed, our convictions will be strengthened, that we'll be able to share the light that you've given to us to bless others as we have been so richly blessed, that you may get the glory you fully, fully deserve. We trust you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going now continuing on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as I've shared with you already, Corinthians, Paul loved the Corinthian church. In the first book, he wrote a lot of things of admonition because he really wanted to make sure it was following the right path. But here in this first book, in the second letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church, he is showing his heart. So I really want you to get a sense, every time that we do this study, the heart of Paul in this. His care, his affection. And in many ways, when you get this, when we go through this, you'll get more of a sense of his personal testimony of what God had done in and through him. So underneath all that, you get to realize he loves the body. And that's what he's calling us to do, to love one another in that body. So starting with verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Wow, that's a lot there. So, we have this ministry. He's very intentional. We have purpose. Paul has this ministry. We, each of us, have a ministry. We're not here for ourselves. God has called us out, the ecclesia, the called out ones, for purpose and intention. His purpose and intention was to reach out to others, to go around. He was an apostle, to build churches, to encourage people, to admonish them. Okay? That ministry is not less for us. We have a ministry. We have a purpose. And we don't lose heart. Why do we not lose heart? Because we have received mercy. That mercy is what encourages us and keeps us steadfast. As we recognize what God has done for us, nothing really needs to stress us out that much. Nothing really needs to stress us out that much. 
And one of the things you get to see with, with Paul is all throughout, he's humble. He's calling us to humility. And not, you know, he says, we're not, we're not trying to be crafty. We're not trying to be deceitful. I'm trying to be direct, straight with you, honest. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen with those preaching the word. And I want you to get this. One of the things we're going to have to be aware of in this latter times, there's going to be people who are going to come who are going to be sharing the gospel in ways that are not true to the word of God. Okay? There are going to be some gospel charlatans. There's going to be people who are going to be deceivers to pretending to be that which they're not. They don't really believe what they're speaking. There's, there's a lot already gospel politicians, men pleasers, very much with hidden agendas, absolutely no convictions. We have to be really aware of that. If you look online, if you look on those who have the largest ministries around, so many of them are only trying to tickle men's ears, or trying to please others. And the last one, and the one that's sometimes harder for us, us to perceive, are gospel manipulators. Those are the ones who play on emotions. They twist the meaning of the word. They take scripture out of context. They take one or two words here and try to use it to justify what they want to communicate. That's, being, that's what you're seeing the apostasy of the church, major denominations going away from core values, core beliefs that have grounded the church for millennia because they've manipulated the word. They've tried to adapt it to the culture. We are called to communicate the word to the culture, not corrupt the word for the sake of the culture. We have to really get that. It's so important that we stay true, faithful to what the word says. And that means we need to be discerning. And one of the challenges, sometimes people will speak to us in ways that sound very pleasing. And it sounds good. And it, we like it. I've seen some of the ones, the one out of Lakewood down in, in, in Houston. I enjoy him speaking. I like hearing him. That's a problem. Because what he's saying is not the whole gospel truth. It's very important that we get a sense we need the entire message of the gospel not just those things that make us feel good. Sometimes the things we need most are the things that we don't feel comfortable with. The stuff that makes us feel upset gives us cause of concern, but most importantly drives us to conviction. That we get to see who we are, what our frame is in light of Jesus and realize where we need to readjust, where we need to set our plumb line, who we need to follow. So Paul is saying again, okay, the manifestation of the truth. So the key is what is the truth that he's communicating? He only preaches the one true gospel. And he's letting you know he's appealing to the integrity. And you have to judge by your conscience. Am I having a problem? You going to help me? Yes, I will. Thank you. I should have. Pardon me? Yeah. 
Is that better? Okay, thank you. And the last point of this first couple of verses that I want to emphasize is Paul clearly says who his priority is. It's in the sight of God. Ultimately, he answers to what God has called him to. It's the same thing for each of us. Everything that we do, ultimately, we will have to give an answer to. And that is always the standard we have to go by. Moving on to the next two verses in chapter 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So we shared last, or a couple of weeks ago now, um, in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians about the veil. We talked about the veil that Moses had. Moses' veil, we thought he had the veil initially to, to protect the Israelites from the Shekinah glory of God. But that's not so. Paul makes it very clear. That veil was fading away. Okay, when he left the presence of God, that veil he had, that veil protected he, the people from seeing that the glory was fading. But in Christ, in the new covenant, we look at him unveiled. We have the glory of God with us that never fades. Each of us gets to walk in that confidence of God shining through. Even when you don't feel like it, the light of God is, is within you each and every day each and every moment we have to merely turn to God and he's there the gospel that's, that converted us the Holy Spirit that now resides in us is what shines through that others may see Christ that's why when we're in the presence of the body the light of God shines among each other that we are encouraged by that that's why the worship when you look around and you see others worshiping you're encouraged by that when you're around another believer and you're talking about things of eternity you're encouraged by that. When you're counseling somebody and you're helping them and admonishing them to help them, you're thinking you're helping them, you're encouraged by that. The process of you helping them encourages the helper. Everything that we do multiplies. God has set it up that way. The problem is we don't do that enough. And Paul is calling us that the reason, one of the reasons we don't do it is the God of this age has blinded First and foremost, he blinded each one of us, those who do not believe. Who is the God of this age? Satan. Yes. But the problem with us is it's not like we want to seek light. We're all in darkness and we choose the darkness. None of us seek the light. So not only do we not seek the light, we're blinded by the enemy. See how hard it is for the gospel message to go through. That's why we can't do any of the saving. Only the Holy Spirit can. Only the Holy Spirit can, to, when it reaches to somebody's heart and you see it softens the heart, takes away that veil that they can receive the truth that penetrates through the lies of the enemy. None of us do, do any of the saving. Only the Holy Spirit does. What it calls on us 
And this is the opportunity that Paul's saying is, we have to be sensitive. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In each moment, we have to be ready. Ready to communicate the good news, the gospel. That's the ministry, to share what God has done in our lives. And if we're walking in the flesh, if we're thinking about temporal things, we'll often miss that opportunity. Which one of us has been busy in our work and a business day, and that's all we think about? All of us. Every day, I gotta get this job done. I got important things to do. I got this, 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 and this to take care of. Am I asking myself the question, okay, God, what is the ministry you want me to do right now? No, I'm not. I may say at the beginning of the day, God, in my quiet time, I'm here to do your will. God is asking us in each moment as much as possible to walk in the spirit to do his will in the presence of now. And that's the opportunity for us. That's what Paul was doing and that's what he's admonishing us to do because there is an enemy and he's vigilant and he's going around and he's, he's trying to deflect. He's trying to distract us and we can get very easily distracted. I get very easily distracted. Okay? I can be one moment walking in the spirit and the next moment completely carnal. Not necessarily doing something grossly sinful, okay? But something clearly focused on myself. Maybe on my stomach, eating what I want to eat. Or something that just passes by that catches my fancy instead of focusing on the need of somebody. John 3.19 This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. As I was saying, every single one of us love evil. It's hard for people to get that. I was having a conversation with my cousins when I was in Canada and I could tell and I could tell you talked about she mentioned about how important it is to take care of yourself. You need to take care of yourself. You need to do things that take care of yourself. And I go, well, I think we're more than capable of taking care of ourselves. But I think we have a fundamental difference in belief. You believe that people are essentially good. She nodded, yes. And I do not. I do not believe in the core that people are good. I think we choose what we want for ourselves. We are selfish by nature. So of course we will take care of ourselves. Now you're talking about self-care in terms of, you know, a lot of the stuff now about it's important to be mindful, it's important to calm yourself, it's good to exercise, it's good to eat right, it's good to be mindful. Those things are good things to do. But the ultimate goal for that is what? Is it so I can live longer on this world? Accumulate more toys? get more experiences? Or is it to build the kingdom of God? Every one of us is evil. That means the people that we see, we always see expression, oh, they're a good person. Well, yeah, really, they're not. I don't use that term. They're not good people. They're not, oh, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. I like him, he's a good guy. No, they're not good guys. Not good people. They're a good person. Like them, he's good. No, their behavior may be nice, they may be sweet in disposition towards us, but they're not good. We really got to stop using that term. 
because we give them a false sense of security that they're okay. All of us chose darkness, but God, but God, he was the one who reached down. He was the one who reached into our heart. Josh, come over here and sit down over here, please. <laughs> yeah, come over here and have a seat here, please. <laughs> Thank you. He was the one who reached down for us. <laughs> Pardon me? I, yes, I don't want you to be distracted. <laughs> Thank you. Um, he, uh, he was the one who changed us. And he's the one who's going to change anybody that we meet. It will be the Holy Spirit that does it. But he will choose to use us. If we're taking the ministry that God has given us, he will give us the chance to share the good news. We have to be sensitive to where they're at. We have to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing. That means we have to be in the Spirit. Now, one of the things we're going to have to realize is as I said, they're in darkness, they're blind, they don't even seek the light. So when you're blind, you can shine the light, they can't see it. Blind people do not perceive light. Those who are completely blind cannot see it. So somehow, their spiritual eyes have to be opened. We sing that song, open the eyes of my heart. The heart has to be opened. Now there's an enemy prowling around, the God of this age, that's Satan. He is intentionally trying to distract and blind you. How does one penetrate through that? What's one of the first things that we can do? Pray. Exactly. Pray. Pray. In the moment, in the thought, in your head, pray. Heavenly Father, have mercy on them. Heavenly Father, have mercy. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. God, help them to see your goodness. Help them to see your goodness. Have mercy on them. As you have mercied me, mercy them. Many of you know the mercy prayer. We, that's a good prayer to pray for everybody that we see. And guess what? The vast majority of the people that we see don't have a relationship with him. So we'll have lots of time to practice. Lots of time to practice. But we have to be mindful. That's the mindfulness, not the self-mindfulness but the God mindfulness that he's calling us to have, to pray mercy in the midst of now. Because there's an enemy trying to take that word away. And you may say right things in your own thinking, and the enemy will snatch it away. And the only way it'll penetrate through that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And how do we access that? By prayer. Prayer gets us right into the chance of connecting with the Spirit within us and, and how the Spirit's working around us and then allowing the Spirit to work through us. So that's why in Thessalonians it say, pray unceasingly, pray continually. Now that right out of prayer has to be also in rejoice. I love what Thessalonians says, rejoice always. You have to realize God is good. God wants to save everybody. It says so in the word. He wishes none will perish. His desire, his heart, is that all will come into repentance. Every single one that's what he wants. So he's actively working within them already. The Holy Spirit is working. We have a chance to come alongside and participate. He's doing the work. We come alongside. We may say a few words. They come into relationship with Jesus Christ, and then you're both encouraged and richly, richly blessed.
So I think in Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We cannot battle these forces in our own intellect and strength. We are severely overmatched. No way. You can't fight the devil. You know, I've seen some of these warrior Christian shirts with the shield and it looks like these knights and it makes like you can do battle against the devil. Yeah, you cannot. Scripture says, all we have to do is stand. We need to be armored. We're called to stand. But we don't do the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle always belongs to the Lord. Okay, we pray. We speak the words of the truth. Okay, we have the only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the spirit. That is prayer. Everything else is defensive. Everything else is to protect us. And so we pray, accessing the spirit. And we pray, and God reaches through that. And so we have to be mindful that at every moment, the enemy is trying to snatch things away from us, trying to change us. To make us distracted, to make us unfocused, to make us think of ourselves, and not for the needs of others. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So the more we are in the world, the more we're under the dominion of the enemy. How can we change that? How can we help that? I work out in the world. We all do. Do we just retreat into these monks with the monks do? No. We're, gonna, we're called to go out into the world. But the world's getting increasingly seductive. People have electronic devices, and I notice the younger generation in particular, they cannot be without them. Especially the teenagers, they can't be without them. And the number one joke that I say to them is, I'm sorry, your condition is, is going to prevent you from using electronic devices for a month. And they're like, you know, they're about to have an epileptic seizure, okay? And they can't. You take it away. Even if, I took, if somebody took the phone away and put it aside for just a moment, you can't even do that. They feel like they're naked without their electronic device. Okay? So they're intimately connected to the world. Our phones, it's nice to have. It's a great computer, but it connects us to the world at each moment. And those of us who have Siri or any other kind of voice recognition, you know that. You're talking about something, a conversation, and suddenly your search finding shows exactly what you've had a conversation about. They're watching you, watching us, collecting that data, getting a better assessment of who we are. Those who've heard Melody speak, she talked about how important it is for, to be under the radar. And for some of us, we think, oh, it's kind of extreme. She won't tell us anything. It's kind of rigid. Why is she being so protective? Because she has seen what real persecution is like. She has seen a state that takes all the data information and it already ranks you based on whether they think you're at risk or not. I have a chance. One of my mission trips that I plan to go has been postponed because I can't go to two countries at the same time. I can't go to Pakistan and then go to India, which was my plan. Oh, I'll go to Pakistan. It's just two days in between the two trips. I'll fly from Pakistan down to India just a couple of days early. It'll work out great because I'll be in that part of the world. No. 
As soon as I go to Pakistan, India, it's a big red flag in India. And they'll watch me. And they'll watch where I go. And any ministry I'm involved with, they'll now they'll put them under surveillance. So they said, look, you have to choose. You can't do both. I'm like, really? I don't like that. I'm ready to go. I don't want to do that. I felt a little down about it. But the Lord knows what's best. And there'll be a right season, a right time for us to do it. But that's something we have to be mindful of. The world, India is getting increasingly more a surveillance state. China is already down the curve, already well ahead in terms of being a surveillance state. And what we underestimate, this country, the United States of America, is a surveillance state. They already know. They've already been doing it for 20 years. Since 9-11, they've monitored all phone calls. They're monitoring text messages. Everything that we communicate online is being communicated to this central database, and they're registering all that information and getting profiles on us. It does trillions of computations. So can they monitor 380 million people in this country? Easily. Easily. So what chance do we have? None in our own strength. Praise be to God. He knows how to work his way around it. He will help us. You don't have to despair. We have to be prudent. We have to try to minimize this, not keep this everywhere all the time, and decide, hey, do I really need to have this? We have to be wise. Innocent as does, but wise. Okay? Wise as foxes there, crafty that way in the sense of knowing how the world operates. Not to let it hoodwink us. But also trust in God. Have faith that if you're in service for the Lord God Almighty, he will protect you. He will help you. And if you go through trial, it's not by accident. If you go through trial, it's not by accident. God allows and permits it. Why? To make us more like Jesus. To strengthen us. So we're going to go through trial because he wants to strengthen us. I don't get stronger in the good times. I get stronger when negative things happen to me. I have a choice. I can become bitter. I was at one time frustrated, angry, mired in some self-pity. Or I can go, okay, what do you want to do next, God? Strengthen me. I can't do this. That African proverb is not the, to avoid trial, but God, may you strengthen our backs. Strengthen our backs that we can be ready for what you have for us. That's our prayer. So because we know in Psalm 24:1, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So even though there's a God of this age, God is still sovereign. He's in control. Nothing happens that he's not, he's not aware of. He's not surprised by anything. He's not surprised by anything. Nobody puts the wool over God's eyes. He knows every single permutation and combination of what can happen. All different eventualities. If you're into that sort of things about counterfactuals, we can have a whole conversation about that. But he knows all those things, all the details, every single possibility. Nothing is beyond his comprehension. Nothing is beyond his comprehension. You can have confidence. You have a God who's all-knowing, who knows everything, and who's immeasurably good. That's the best situation to have. We talk about in societies, you want a benevolent dictator, so to speak. 
God is that one. He's the only one who can be benevolent. And the only one who can dictate, only one who can determine what's right because his ways are always the best ways. That's the crazy thing. And no matter what happens with us, his ways are always going to be the best. Everything he's going to work out to good. His ways and everything that he does will be the best. So what do we have to worry about? Nothing. Nothing. We have to be anxious for nothing. Now, we get worried sometimes. We fret. Who doesn't? I do. But then he says, talk to him. Pray. Prayer is a conversation with God. God, I'm anxious. I'm fretting. I know I shouldn't be. I'm worried about this. Okay, let me go to your word. What does your word say? What does your word say? He has the answer for every problem. Every spiritual problem, he has an answer for. Every core need, he has an answer for. His Holy Spirit will minister us. That's where we have to go to. And sometimes those of us who are married go together as couples. Those who are in community go together with a brother or a sister in the Lord. I mean, sister with sister, brother with brother. Okay? The idea being is that you seek wisdom. You seek wisdom. What's the source of wisdom? God in his word. So, So even though we talked about the power of Satan, one more thing I want to connect with is verse in Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you want a motto to remember... If you want something to guide you each day and you want to memorize scripture, it's not one that we often memorize, but it's a good one to remember because it gets you, it gets you know if you're in God's corner, you know we think God's in my corner. Yeah, but really what he wants is you to be in his corner. If you're in his corner, okay, he's the one who's fighting. If you're in his corner, you're in the best position to be in. If you're in his corner, there's no better place to be. If you're in his corner, not in your thinking, but what his word says, you have somebody who's eternal, immortal. He's invisible, but he's also omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. There's no place hidden to him. Nobody wiser than him. Nobody's going to outsmart God. Nobody's going to outsmart God. He alone, he alone is worthy. So Satan is a defeated enemy. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he crushed him. Satan was defeated then. It's just like some of the snakes. If you kill them, sometimes they'll twitch for a while before they stop moving. I happen to remember as a kid, pivotal moment, saw a chicken with its head cut off. Kind of a weird scene to see as a kid. But the blood was still spurting and the chicken was still running around. But it was basically dead until the blood depleted out of it. But it was still flashing around and moving. That's what Satan is. He's defeated. Okay? Doesn't mean he can't move around and do some things. Doesn't mean he can't make a mess of things because he certainly can. But he's defeated on the cross. 
we may have to remind him of that. When he speaks in your life, when you think, we have to remind him of that. You're defeated. You thought you won at that time. You thought you killed the Son of God, but you did not. Now, he talked about something about the, the reason, and I want, there's one more point I want to emphasize about those verses, about the light of the gospel. And, and the light that's used here is the term revelation. Light can mean so many different things. You're talking to a guy who loves lighting, okay? So there's light that gives us illumination, okay? That brings color. If you have enough light, you get to see color. We as humans have rods and cones in our eyes. The cones help us with color. Lots of animals, most animals don't see color. Most mammals don't see color. Humans are distinct in being able to see color very well. Okay? We see color. The light, we need light to see color. When it's dark, late at night, it's the rods that pick up the light. So you get to see more black and white. But as it becomes brighter, we see things better in terms of color. But this word here, when it talks about the light of the gospel, it's talking about revelation. That that light, it's like that light bulb in your head when you see those cartoons, bing, it comes on. It's like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't understand. I didn't get it. So the enemy is trying to prevent people from getting about the goodness of God. I didn't know that. People have tried to talk to me about the gospel for 30 years. I didn't have revelation. I didn't get it. They talked about grace. I didn't get it. We can talk about it. I didn't get my need. I thought I wasn't that bad. I wasn't perfect, but I was better than the other people. It's above average, at least what I thought average was. So I didn't see my need. Only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can really convict people. I can't do it. You can't do it. That's where the light of the gospel. Now, by praying, you can be sensitive to what God wants to communicate about that. That's the invitation, being sensitive to how the Spirit's saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, what he did for me. Most people are sensitive to you telling your testimony, your story. That's why in the last 20, 30 years, there's a huge, I mean, I know we said, it's, it's, it's everywhere. In colleges, everybody, everybody talking about their stories, their testimonies, what their journey is, okay? So you can't tell people what to do. I can tell you and I'm telling you, but really, we can't do that outside. You got to sin, you're going you're gonna to die and go to hell. I can't tell people that. Okay, I could barely do that with my cousin, talk about that I don't believe. I just basically says, I don't believe that people are good. Now, I didn't say, you're evil and wicked. Did I think that? Yes. But I knew saying that would definitely not be copacetic. It wouldn't be good. Because they weren't ready. The ground wasn't tilled. It wasn't ready to receive the word. Now, if she asked the question, why do you believe that people are bad? Then, that's an invitation to say, well, here in the gospel, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, no one is righteous, not one. All choose the darkness, just like what I quoted. We all do that. 
That would have been an invitation that we, the Spirit does that. That was not there. The opportunity for us to be sensitive to what the Spirit is moving, if they're receptive. You can ask them questions and you can lay some things down very gently. But you can talk about your testimony. And so the opportunity is if people ask, how come you're like that? Why are you so nice? Well, actually, I'm not that nice. So I was able to share, why do you do things? Because I've been given such a rich blessing by God. How could I not give that for others? That's the opportunity you have, your testimony. What did God do in your life? So being in tune with that, that's something that people can't argue against. And that comes us to the next verses in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 to 7. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So I was talking about light. And here it talks about that light, the light of revelation. Okay? And it says here, treasures in what? Earthen vessels, clay pots. There's a group called jars of clay. It talks about that. Okay? So there's two points to get with that whole thing. One, we're clay pots. We're earthen vessels. If you know what clay pots are made of, it's made of dirt. If you look at our human bodies, we have mostly the same composition as dirt. Really do. Okay, if you look at the dust in your house, what is it? It's mostly human skin. It's mostly dirt. What you're sweeping up is you. Yeah, we're mostly dirt. Okay, we're pretty humble. Okay, we're nothing special. So it talks about earthen, humble. Earthen pots, clay pots are humble. Earthen pots, they're nothing special. We got nothing special about us. Except what's inside. Back in the day, people store things in clay pots. You get oil. That's what they talked about in Jesus at the wedding feast at Cana. They were water in the clay pots and they converted to wine. People brought oil in clay pots. So if you ever heard of Ali Bob and the 40 Thieves, you'll know that story. But people don't know these old stories anymore. But, okay. But clay pots everywhere. They're easy to make. They can break down. You can make them again. Pretty common. Useful. Kind of fragile. Nothing special in that. Okay? They are unique. Each one is handmade. Each one's custom made on that. But what's inside is so critical. So what's the treasure that we have inside? What is Tall talking about? It can be said there are three treasures he talks about, all really interconnected. The first treasure is we have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ. We have, Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the power of God, of the universe. That's immortal, invisible, eternal God. Nothing greater than that. It has to be seen, that light. Just like Gideon was told, you know, when you get, gather around the camps, okay, and at the right moment, break the earthen vessels, and then the light will shine through. 
That's what scared his enemies. But the idea is without, we have to let the light out of that pot to shine through, to show people what it's about. So we talked about, I said there were three things that treasure can refer to. First I mentioned is we have the Holy Spirit. The other part is we have the gospel. That's a treasure that God has given us. He's given us purpose. So we have the third one is that we have a ministry of the gospel. So we have the gospel itself as a treasure and the ministry. If you look at verse one, we talked about this ministry. That also is a treasure. The fact that the God of the universe wants us to work alongside him to do his will here. Even though we're a bunch of cracked pots, earthen humble vessels, that's a huge blessing. That in itself is a treasure. So we have the Holy Spirit. We have the gospel, the good news that's been available to us that we can share with others. And this ministry he has given us to be a blessing for others. All of those things all together. And one of the things we have in the Western concept is we think it's this or that. Some things, especially more of the Middle Eastern, Eastern concept, is it this and that. So it's not an exclusive, but it's all three together. And a lot of things in Scripture we have to understand is God is very efficient in how he communicates. He uses the same passage over and over. And you look at it, there's only a certain number of words in the Bible but it ministers to all the human beings on the planet for all time, for all different purposes. That's pretty efficient when you look at it. There's a God of the universe, and he decides, I can give you everything that you really know in this. Really? Everything? Everything. Everything you really need to know. Everything you really need to know to, from godliness, everything you really need to know to make your life work. Everything you really need to know. Now, the, what's our problem? Is revelation. The words are there, but it may not make the difference in our spirit yet. That's when you read it sometimes for the 30th time and suddenly you go, oh, that's what that meant. The light bulb goes off. Keep reading, keep applying different circumstances. God will bring revelation. And that revelation changes you, makes your light that you have in you actually shine brighter. And you're able to be even more of a blessing. As we become more like Christ, as Christ, as the light becomes brighter within that, it'll shine through. It'll shine through. It will transform that earthen vessel. We'll still be humble, but we could be a nice fine bone china earthen vessel versus a clay pot. But that's what he does. He makes something. And if you look at really, really nice China or really, really, really nice marble, there's almost a translucent. The light can shine through that. And that's the goal, is to make that on this side as shiny as it can be so that God's light can shine through. I mean, as translucent as it can be so God's light can shine through. So less of us is blocking the Holy Spirit from shining through and the gospel from shining through. And that means serving in the ministry that God has given us to allow that to happen. So Paul talks about it's, we are bond servants. He's a servant. Each of us is called to be servants the same way. For whose sake? Why are we called to be servants? For whose sake are we to be a servant? 
For God's sake, yeah, for Christ's sake. Okay, so in all things, why are we to serve? Not to boost myself up, not to make me feel good, not to even, not to just meet their need. Ah, oh, I got to help them because they have a need. That's what I want to do. Oh, they got a need, I got to help them. I got to help them because, yes, they have a need, but it's for the sake of Christ. What does it look like if I'm helping their need for the sake of Christ instead of for their sake or for my sake? How do we serve for the sake of Christ? How do we do that? Through prayer. That means as we're serving, we're praying, God, help me to be a blessing. God, give me an opportunity to share the good news. God, help me to be sensitive to where they're at. That means walking in the Spirit means being in continual communion with God. I.e. prayer. That's for Christ's sake. And that's what Paul was doing. And so his focus, again, the last line, and the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. Um, I love this expression Hodge said. Paul's goal in preaching was to bring men to Jesus not to make moral changes in men. To make the end of preaching the inculcation of virtue, that means putting in virtue, to render men honest, sober, benevolent, and faithful is part and parcel of that wisdom of the world that is foolishness with God. It is attempting to raise fruit without trees. When a man is brought to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and to love and worship him as such, then he becomes like Christ. What more can the moralist want? There's a good old movie by Gavin, had Gavin McLeod. He was the, I think the captain love boat back in the 70s, time changers. So it was really talked about what that means. If we're doing teaching about the principles of Christ, and I, I have to be, I'm guilty. I sometimes see a movie, oh, that has good Christian moral principles. But it doesn't talk about Christ. It doesn't talk about how the source of that's from Christ. It's actually woefully inadequate, woefully incomplete. It will teach men, that's what happened in the 50s here, and the 60s. We taught people moralistic behavior, often without the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, people have given up both, but the opportunity is they'll now see what real behavior in Christ looks like. So when the world looks crazy to you and you're wondering, what are we going to do? The opportunity is greater because the contrast will be greater. You won't have them because what they think will be right won't be right by the Bible. It'll be a quite a bit of a contrast. And what it looks like to really show the love of Jesus, really to love others through the power of the Holy Spirit, really to minister the needs, praying to God and being ready to minister the on a deep level, on a level of the soul, of the Spirit itself, can't be had any other way. They can't have that pretense. They can't say, I'm a good person. See, I believe the same things you do. Well, they don't. They don't anymore. I've seen some Muslims who are better morals, have better morals than Christians do. I have. I've not seen any Muslim have the power of Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit in them. I've not seen any Mormon have that. 
I've not seen any Hindu have that. That's what we get to offer is the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what he did for us and what he's available to do for them. So, how do we come to the knowledge of the glory of God? You know how we come to the knowledge of the glory of God? We did that in worship today. By seeing the face of Jesus. The more intimately we're connected with Jesus, the more we fall in love with him, the more we seek him earnestly, the more we spend time with him, not just in church, but on your knees, at home, in your car, at work in a moment, God help me, Jesus help me, the more the light will shine through. So I know, let's move on. We're getting short in time. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 12. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about the bo- in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who are are alive, we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. So he further expands on what I've just talked about. He used mortal flesh instead of earthen vessels instead of clay pots. But as we die to ourselves, what's the key to have that translucent vessel to allow the gospel to shine through? Our death. The death of our desires. The death of our flesh. The death of what we want, especially those things we really want in our flesh. Especially those hidden things that we really treasure, that we hold on to that we kind of negotiate with God. I'll do all this for you if you let me just have this. Just this. It's not that bad. It's pretty okay. A lot of people do it. But if we're willing to give that to Jesus, if we're willing to surrender that to Jesus, that's when we die. That's when his life will shine brighter in you. That's when his life will shine brighter in you. That's when your ministry will become more spirit-filled. That's when the power of your tongue will speak the words that will give life. Because it shows that you're willing to die, as Paul did. Paul was going to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, was, he learned under Gamaliel. He, was, he could have been easily the high priest. He was on that path. Renowned, established within Jewish faith. He gave that all up. He considered it all rubbish, trash, garbage. Leaving, forsaking, leaving what's behind. I press on to take hold what's available in Christ Jesus. That's what's available. But it means our death. It means our death. And that's the challenge. And you'll know God's going to be, God's tweaking at our hearts. When we spend time in prayer, he's saying to us, hey, you can let that go. Yeah, I really like it. I know. You can let that go. You can let it go. Trust me, I have something better. 
I have something better. So, what did he have that better? The glory of knowing Jesus, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being confirmed, conformed to his death. I'm not asking you to be a masochist. I'm not saying to self-flagellate, to beat yourself unnecessarily. I am saying that there is going to be suffering to walk with Jesus. There will be. Jesus suffered. We're to be like him. We'll suffer. We'll suffer because, as I've shared before, because there's going to be trials and persecution. We'll suffer because we'll make mistakes and because we're fleshly beings. We're going to suffer. But God's going to use that. If we're willing to put it on the altar and all that and trust him, just like all the patriarchs did. Abraham suffered. Abraham suffered. He had to take Isaac and put him on the altar. Abraham suffered. He suffered throughout, and he still pressed in. Trusted in God. Stepped in faith. God is asking. Moses suffered. Elijah suffered. Elisha suffered. All of them. Jeremiah, the suffering, lamenting prophet, suffered. Ezekiel suffered. John the Baptist suffered. Jesus suffered. We will suffer. But how we suffer, that can be something amazingly beautiful for the glory of God. If we suffer like Christ for his glory, trusting him. So I won't get to finish the rest of it. We'll carry on with the other verses. Um, for me, God's been teaching me again and again how much I want to avoid suffering. I, I always go for comfort. Our culture goes for comfort, and I go for comfort. And I have a long way to go to really appreciate what that is. Some of you are better in certain areas with that than I am. And some areas, others are better at. There's an opportunity for us to press in to see what God wants in suffering and trusting in Christ couple of minutes. Any questions?